Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Um, coming at you, you guys, with another epic episode. Like, what is 2022? We're coming for you. That's what people need mm-hmm. to understand. How was your long weekend? It was good. We, we being me and my friends and all 10 of my personalities, had a wedding, which was mm. super fun because if you know me, you know I love to dress up and that's exactly what I did. You looked so, chic as hell. Thank you. I will be my static post in case everyone was wondering. It's likely going to be black and white because your girl got Ooh. a really bad spray tan, which okay. I know I'm notorious for at this point. Like I really, I, you think, would th- I, I went to a different place though this time. I think and you get into your head about it. She got her spray tan, you guys, on Monday and the wedding was until Saturday. How does your body was, even have spray tan on it still? That's probably why you, it was probably blotchy by then. Speaking of bad tans, by the way, I have a story from this weekend about my bad tan as well. Okay, I need to hear this. Because mine, like, mine's kind of, now it's a little speckly here, but it's, like, it's just more, like, in pictures, really orange. Like, I will send you some, and they are, they're interesting. Let me show you. I'll put it that way. Okay, so what happened? Let me show you something. Well, I didn't get a spray tan. I just, like, I usually Mm. just put a little mousse on every weekend just for a little zhuzh, you know? A little color. A little Um, this, a little that. And Look like you're not vitamin D deficient, my, always important in our world. Exactly. And my, basically, like, lately when I do the mousse, in between, you know, like, the lines of your knuckles? Yeah. They are white, and then, like, my hands are, like, tanner, obviously. And then when you bend your knuckles, you can see the, like, white lines. That makes yeah. sense? Uh-huh. So I tried to combat that this weekend by... Bent folding or like bending my my fingers, putting tanner on my knuckles to get into the lines. And let me just tell you, I should have just done like a quick swipe, swipe. That's it on each one. I decided to swipe 20, 20 times maybe. And <laughs> this will not be seen by anybody listening. This was just for Samantha's eyes, but maybe her, maybe her reaction. <laughs> We'll be telling enough. Literally. 
looks like, you know what this reminds me of? A chicken finger. No, I just. And you know, with the breading on the outside, and then you cut into the, the chicken finger, and it is white as white can be, and it was like a crispy, burnt chicken finger. No, that is like, the contrast. Just Maddie, do better. I just can't. But despite, you know, that little hiccup, I fell in love this weekend. Um, <gasps> do tell. Well, I went to Jack Harlow's concert, and I already knew he was love of my life. I've been having dreams about him for weeks now. And the concert really just made me really spiral into a deep depression because of how bad I need him. It's It's like that bad. So, so he's left the town. The question is, have you slid into his DMs? Oh, of course. Oh, okay. Okay, just making sure we're covering been, the groundwork here. I've been sliding in for a while, obviously. Nothing nothing yet, but uh, I just love him. I don't know what else to say about it, but definitely that was my highlight of my weekend along with 49ers playoff win. But that was, that was it, and now I'm just exhausted and have already had two espressos and it's 11 a.m. So here we are. I mean, look, a romance can really take take the wind out of you. Mm-hmm, you know, some true. people, you know, say it's more like it lifts you up. And I think sometimes it's, you know, it's sometimes just it breaks so overwhelming. Yeah, sometimes it just... Sometimes it breaks you mm. down. Yeah. But I think today and this episode mm. is what's going to really bring me back to life because we have the episode the guest that we have been teasing and really just the organization that we've been obsessed with for months now and I've always been telling you guys to go check out and that is Open Secrets. (laughs) We have an interview with someone from Open Secrets who is spilling all the tea with us because that is what Open Secrets does and we love them for it. We really do. We seriously do. And this episode is so interesting because like we always tell you guys about Open Secrets in general, it's the tea spiller. It's We call it like the Dumas or the TMZ of politics yes. because like it just freaking is. You follow the money trail. The money trail is like the tea trail, the same thing in politics. And they track that stuff. They get into the nitty gritty. God, why is it still my favorite phrase? All of these months later, I still can't stop saying nitty gritty. But regardless of that, our interviews with their director of research and strategy, Sarah Briner. She is so wicked smart and so interesting. I can't even get to tell you guys you're going to find out all about that and all about this lens on this particular episode. And I don't even want to hold it back any further because I fucking love it. I fucking love it. Love it. Quick, quick, quick. Housekeeping. You want a housekeep? <laughs> she wants a housekeep. Excuse me. Excuse me. Can I get a broom? Can I get a broom? Thank you. I'm grabbing my broom and I'm housekeeping really, really fast before Sam gives us her without further ado. We have a donation link. If you guys um, are loving this show and want to help support your girls, you can shoot us a quarter, shoot us 10 quarters, shoot us $10, whatever you feel. don't forget. Whatever you feel. Four quarters is still cheaper than a hot dog. That's very important math to know and it's... Exactly. Exactly. It's key there. So, yeah, whatever you guys feel like given, whether it's zero, whether it's 10, whether it's, hey, 100, whatever you want. We'd we'd love it. We'd love the support. Just help keep the lights on, the whole thing. There's a donation link in the episode description. 
Another housekeeping reminder is our internship. We have a spring and summer internship, social media marketing and research. So if you are in college and need college credit for an internship, go check that out at girlinthegov.com slash careers. And then if you know, you're know you not in the internship space right now, you can't get college credit, join our brand ambassador program. There is so much that you can gain from joining from resume boosters to networking opportunities to just a community of like-minded individuals to connect with over politics. So if you're interested, join our brand ambassador program. It's all volunteer-based, so there's no requirements there. Just come join the community. Another shout-out is we have actually some friends at Manny's. They are having some virtual events this week and into next week called Blue in 22, where they are basically spreading some knowledge about midterms obviously but especially in some of those battleground states they have some amazing people from heads of democratic parties in the states to congress people speaking and it's all virtual so you can head there it's all free and learn some more about the midterm elections so if you are inspired by our last episode with brian then this is a great way to go continue to learn those links are also in the episode description but I'm putting the broom away. The dustpan is gone and it's looking clean in here. So let's let's get after it. So without further ado, here is Sarah. All right, well, let me tell you. I know we already said this a little <laughs> bit, but we are so excited to have you. This is like a dream come true. As any of our listeners know, we're obsessed with Open Secrets. So to have the Director of Research and Strategy on to give us the freaking background on the situation, what Open Secrets is, how it works, all of that, like fangirl moment. But like, <laughs> like literally like freaking out, it's fine. But to get things started, especially for someone, maybe this is their first episode of Girl Nick of the Podcast, which welcome if you are. What exactly is Open Secrets? What is it that you guys do? Give us the rundown. Sure. We are probably the oldest um, and best known political campaign finance oversight organization in the country. We track the way that money flows to politicians and to political outcomes and the way that lobbying happens. Basically, if it has to do with money and the government, we have our eye on it from this yeah. from the local to the federal level. Which That's- like... Thank God. Thank God. The watchdog we all need. But well, to kind of like also run it back, like how did Open Secrets get its start and when? And like, how does it really operate? Yeah, I like to say it's a year older than I am. It was was born in, in 1983, sort of the the offspring of a Republican and a Democratic member of Congress who viewed this um, sort of public service as a necessity. We are devoutly nonpartisan and we are also a nonprofit. so, So unlike many organizations in DC, we don't take a lot of positions on things. Other than that, it is the public right to know about who's influencing their politicians. So really transparency is our main end goal. One big thing that happened more recently is that we merged in January 2021 with a organization based out of Montana that does essentially the same work at the state level. So now our data resources expand um, into state elections as well. And in so many cases, a lot of so consequential decisions are made. So it's really exciting to have that broader resource. That is totally. Is there anything for like local? 
Uh, we have local for New York, <laughs> Chicago, um, and uh, a few other cities. But, you know, as you probably can imagine, not all cities have great public disclosure. <laughs> no, no <laughs> um, they don't. <laughs> you know, we sort of are focusing on a couple of the big ones. Oh, in Washington, D.C. But no, not really, not, not much beyond state. Yeah. Wait, I have a question, too, just about, like, thinking about when you guys started, but, like, just thinking about this, like, kind of almost like monster of like money and politics like when did it start to get bad and like has it always been there from the start like when did it start to get kind of like okay we actually need to keep an eye on this this is kind of getting out of hand yeah well I I guess bad you can put in air quotes to some degree because like back in you know 150 years ago people were straight up handing wads of cash to politicians yeah and that was kind of expected uh so like that's not great, but the Federal Election Commission came um, out of came into being, and that's the organization that the, the government organization that tracks and makes sure makes sure that politicians aren't breaking any laws. That was born in the seventies after Watergate. So okay. really, okay. once once Watergate happened, people said, you know, we need an organization that is independent, um, has independent commissioners to oversee this process. So that's kind of when that all started happening. But as far as like the sheer amount of money in politics, it really ramped up after the Citizens United decision in 2010. So what, or in 2009. So over the last decade or so, we've seen just an absolute explosion um, in the amount spent on elections. Wow. Yikes. I feel like that is such an interesting timeline. And I always get so confused in my head as to like, did I just become more aware of certain things because I like got a little bit older? Like, was it because I graduated a high school and like went to college? You know, was it that or was it like some specific external thing that was happening in either government, politics, et cetera, that was like really the catalyst for something I was observing? And I think it's like maybe a little bit of both, but it always has sort of led me to the question of the behind the scenes, like what's actually going on? Like, what have I not sort of known before? And I think something I still don't really have a great grasp on, and I'm sure our listeners can relate to this too, is how do you guys actually track like the money? Like, is there, are there forms people have to release? Is there, I mean, I know that's the type of thing that probably differs state by state, city by city, et cetera. But like, where does this kind of come from? And if like, say I were to like go to like a Google search and I was like, hmm, like I wonder like what candidate donated to, or you know, what company donated to XYZ candidate? Like how would I even go about that? Yeah, so I think that the sort of mechanics of it, yes, candidates have to file information, PACs, political action committees have to file information. Donors don't have to file anything. So if you're a donor giving money, you don't have to disclose anything to the government or anything. The the candidate and the recipient will take care of that for you. But all of these forms are filed with the Federal Election Commission. And (laughs) sometimes it's really not that interesting. Like, you know, so-and-so, your neighbor gave $100 to Barack Obama. Like, who cares? (laughs) But, or, you know, your teacher gave 50 bucks to, you know, our governor, et cetera. So some of it is is just the basic mechanics of living in a country with private elections, privately funded elections. But a lot of the kind of 
corporate disclosures can be pretty interesting, especially, and that's especially true after the January 6th, which is the anniversary of today, insurrection, where a lot of corporations said, you know what, a pox on both your houses, we're not getting involved anymore. And then basically, like, as soon as people stopped paying attention, yep. they started donating again. I totally forgot about that. But like, yeah, once it happened, all the people, like, the corporations, like, backing away from politics yeah. as if, like... Oh, we have nothing to do with this. But and yeah, and then like once it kind of died down, it's like, oh, came right back in. Money flows. Yeah. Yep, exactly. No, they, they can't turn away. Politicians can't turn away a good thing. And corporations mm-hmm. don't want to clap doors slammed in their face when they go to lobby on issues later. Right. So you can search the FEC. They actually have a pretty good website. They've changed a lot. It's it's probably a pretty, for a government um, <laughs> asterisk, user friendly. The state websites are range the range from terrible to really really good it really depends on where you live so it it varies but your state or government website should have that information you also can always use open secrets we do a lot of the kind of cleanup so that when you go search for like google you actually get results instead of searching on the government site and they're like what's google that's called alphabet now (laughs) or what's facebook they're meta so we take care of a lot of those kind of confusing elements that make it hard to get what you're looking for so you can Mm -hmm. search secrets too so when you guys get this information we like to call it tea um on this show (laughs) but when you guys get this like is this really more for the public to be able to just have this like disclose for everybody else to see but like the government is already you know the fec and everyone is already tracking this but this is more of just like for the public watchdog is that really what the information you guys get is for primarily we are we serve the public the government does obviously keep an eye on the legality i mean donald trump got into a fair bit of trouble with the fec for campaign finance violations that was the stormy daniels situation yeah. that was that was the sort of law element to that and so I, I think that they are doing work. They are also incredibly underfunded um, and under-resourced. And so having a public Classic. focused organization is, is really important, I think. And then we also serve hundreds and thousands of reporters every year who then disseminate the information and do a lot of really good investigative journalism, which is a dying art, but so critical mm, for functioning yeah. democracy. So we serve them and they can kind of get the, and all of the elements. The problem with public disclosure is that people who break the law don't disclose that they're breaking the law. Although that's right. actually not entirely true. That has happened. But they try not to. Right. <laughs> and so we we can sometimes help with that to, be, to say like, you reported receiving a million dollars, but you only reported $900,000 in receipts. Like what's the missing 100,000? So we yeah. can kind of help with that. But typically our, our service is for the public to really understand the workings of government. Which I think are just like so constantly confusing and we're always like trying to break it down and give sort of light to all these terms that we hear. And one of those terms that we always hear is dark money. But what does that actually mean? Like what is like for you, like definition, dark money means X, Y, Z. Yeah, dark money is money spent by a political entity that doesn't have to disclose any information to the government. So I've been talking about the FEC and what they do, but if you are a nonprofit like Open Secrets or any the ACLU, the Sierra Club, mm-hmm. I mean, name your nonprofit, there's bazillions of them. 
You're allowed to spend a certain amount of money on politicking. Open Secrets isn't because we're a 501c3. It starts to get really technical and IRSC, <laughs> but 501c4s yeah. can. <laughs> You're allowed to spend money on politics and you don't have to disclose any information about who gave you that money. So it could be like the government of Cameroon or, you know, Kazakhstan or like it could be literally yeah. and you don't have to disclose that. So that money spent gets reported in some ways to, to the government because they have to buy ad time and they have to disclose that. They just don't have to disclose where it came from. That's so why. that's dark money. And that's, it's, you know, it's a, such a huge problem for a transparent government because like in most circumstances, you know who is giving the money. And so you can say, is this kind of a good, good faith effort? But in many cases, like, you know, nothing. And so yeah. that's kind of. And what, what is the argument for like, why is, you know, obviously, I don't know. Okay. Why, what is the argument for why like money isn't disclosed in some circumstances? Like, are there any pros to actually to that? Or is that just like a way to get dark money in politics? You have like, to is there actually anything else. legitimate? <laughs> you know, it's funny because everyone hates Citizens United. It's very unpopular with the public, but in the arguments, the Supreme Court justices made the case that transparency is the key. Like you need to be transparent to allow right. for this like unlimited spending. And in actuality, and they probably knew this, all of these corporate, private, sometimes public interests are getting around that transparency clause. So they yeah. said, who cares, you know, how much people give so long as you know it and can make those sort of informed decisions. I think the, the argument that, I mean, I, I'm, again, I'm not the person to make this argument. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, we're, playing, but, we're playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> but I think the argument that people make is that there's a privacy. You're allowed to have your private opinions mm -hmm. and spend money about them however you wish, which sure is true when it's a consumer decision. Like I don't yeah. you know, need to know what people Or like are your vote. Like votes. Yeah, are exactly. Private. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But like when you're buying advertising time on television trying to influence the outcome of an election, that's not okay. Um, right. <laughs> we need to know if this pro oil tax or anti oil tax advertisement came from British Petroleum right. um, or Exxon <laughs> or whether yeah. it came, you know, the, the Sierra Club. Like, it's just information that people need to know. Totally. Yeah. Well, I always moving... feel like there's ads that are, like, so confusing, too. Like, you think they're pushing you one direction, but, like, really they're coming from the opposite. So it's, like, <laughs> so constantly confusing. And yes. obviously there's, like, sort of, you know, operations going on behind the scenes there. So having that transparency and, like, actually knowing, like, I definitely think is important being like who on earth is like behind this but yeah that's look that's why we've got political watchdogs which i think maddie was gonna ask this question i mean moving through our i have a stupid question segment moving through these terms <laughs> next one is political watchdog what does it mean yeah there's sort of a couple different kinds you have the fec which is an official government watchdog entity that like can take legal action um, against politicians who violate the law it can issue fines that happens all the time it's pretty common and it can make sure that your disclosures are complete you know the, the representative alexandria ocasio-cortez has actually talked about this her instagram is amazing for learning about politics regardless of totally. what you think about her politics it's she's true, really yeah. good at breaking down what it's like to run for office and she's talked about how you know you can go to jail <laughs> if you violate the fpc's law so that's like the official government watchdog but we are a political watchdog of, of kind of a like there is a lot of complicated information in the world and we want to make sure that people know what it is and also like 
I'm a trusting person and I'm also kind of an optimistic person, but I also have worked politics adjacent for long enough to know that in many cases, people will just not make the right decision, yeah. um, not make the moral decision. Right. And so you can't trust um, people to do the right thing. So yeah. if, if people know they're being watched, they behave differently. Yeah. And so having groups like Open Secrets, and then there are others too, making sure that people can't kind of slip under the rug is, is I think, pretty important. Yeah. Keep stepping back, thinking about all the mechanisms involved. And one of those mechanisms is sometimes shell companies. Yeah. And I always think, like, when I first learned this term, I was like, that sounds so pretty. Like, is this beachy? <laughs> like, are we having a moment? Are we going to the shore? Like, what's happening? And I know that is unfortunately just not, not it. So if you wouldn't mind giving us the 401 on what an actual shell company is and how it's yeah. not involving the beach. <laughs> Well, it might be involving the Delaware Beach. Oh, um, <laughs> tell us more. Because a lot of these companies are based out of Delaware, which has really, really loose disclosure requirements for corporations. And that's why like a lot of banks are based there. So yeah. <laughs> because they don't have to disclose as much to the to the um IRS, et cetera. Not really they have to disclose the same amount to the IRS, but to the public. So a shell company is basically what is set up by a person to mask their political donations and spending, and really they're spending it all. So what they'll do is they'll create something that oftentimes has a name like, you know, ABC LLC, which just has the name of the person who filed the disclosure, and that's about it. And then that ABC LLC will then donate to a politician, or, well, actually not to a politician, to a political action committee supporting a politician, a huge amount of money, and you don't really know anything about that company. So that's kind of how that that term has come into use in the political financing landscape. There's also, you know, shell companies mean different things if you're talking about like banking, but, or like people will set up foreign operations in the Bahamas yeah. or something to, to mask their, to really mask their money from the IRS. So that's a different kind of shell company also, be, but, <laughs> but they, in the, in the U S and in political financing, it's a way to make sure that your donation remains really truly anonymous. The FEC doesn't like that. That is actually against the rules. You can't disclose money from something that has no paper trail because that's the same thing as making an anonymous donation, which is illegal. Mm -hmm. So what they do in those cases is again, well after the fact, they'll say, hey, you need to give us more information about who this donor is. And then typically the campaign or the political entity will comply and say, oh, actually it was so-and-so from you know Nebraska yeah. or whatever. And so you'll know way later. Mitt Romney's presidential campaign had the, or actually the super PAC associated with Mitt Romney's presidential campaign had that happen to them. There was a lot of hoopla about the donor to that super PAC at the time not being known. It's known okay. now, <laughs> but who cares <laughs> at this point? So, so that's how that happened. Gotcha. Next one is what are straw donors? I, I have no idea what this is. Yeah, that's a person. That's when you make a donation through someone else. Ooh. So let's say you're like despised, you're Elizabeth Holmes or something yeah. like, and you want to make a donation to a politician and you, or to, again, I keep saying to a politician, I really mean more often to a super PAC associated with a okay. politician. The distinction there is important yeah. because politicians have limits on the amount that they can receive from a donor, 2,800, not very much in political worlds. Super PACs, you can take as much as you want from anyone. They just aren't associated directly with the candidate so um when you talk about big money we're usually talking about super anyway tangent no that was <laughs> so a straw donor is when you do that donation through someone else so 
rather than taking the money directly from Elizabeth Holmes, you'd take it from Elizabeth Holmes via, you know, innocuous John Smith, um, who has no paper trail or interesting information about him. Wait. Uh, it's illegal. <laughs> that begs the question. So I'm curious, and I don't know if you know this, but does that, so like, say for example, just, you know, hypothetically, <laughs> I were to donate money to like, Planned Parenthood or like Emily's List or something like that with like the name like I don't know insert ex-boyfriend's name that's a Republican (laughs) like am I a straw donor or like are they a straw donor like or am I just really giving too much new meaning to this and also is that illegal should I not be doing (laughs) yeah you shouldn't be doing that I've only thought about it and then she wonders and then she wonders why she has this fear of being like arrested for a white collar crime and yes that would be a straw donor although again like if you're talking you're probably not giving fifty thousand dollars so it's it's probably not a big deal but but that's basically without you know another way this works is like rich people give money through their children and you have to be 18 to donate but like you can you know you'll see like families giving large amounts of money and you're like oh that that 18 year old isn't making um they have no idea they have no idea even who that politician is or what even is going on probably crazy and then you kind of touched on this but is there a limit to how much lobbyists can donate i know the politicians you said or individuals it's 2800 is that correct yeah it's i think it's well it's changing this cycle but it changes with inflation. It's 2,800 per election and you run in two elections in a cycle, the primary and the yeah. general. So um, it's over $5,000 now. But again, you know, the election costs $13 billion. <laughs> so $5,000 is not crazy. crazy. Interesting that that goes up with inflation, but like the minimum wage doesn't. Just yeah. putting it out there. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just a mere comment. It's just a- but, you know, I just, hey, hey, you know, opinion, opinion, opinion. But <laughs> thinking about this as, like, just a larger theme, and I know we touched about this a little on, whoa, touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but why is it so important to sort of know who is backing what candidates monetarily? And then even, two once in office, like, I think Joe Manchin is just, like, such the example at the mm-hmm. moment. But, like, actually, I have, I have a second question this, too. Like, <laughs> let me just just clean the slate for a second because I feel like we understand to a certain degree like how money can help a campaign like when it's actually ongoing but for someone that's already in office like when someone donates to a PAC that then supports them like what does that even do like is that re-election is that like is there another goal there like I don't really do they pocket it I think there's a lot of confusion yeah yeah. Okay. This is a lot of questions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Which is great. I love a lot of questions. So why is it important to know? These people work for us. Like they work for me yeah. and and you and everyone who voted for them. Well, not even everyone who voted for them. Yeah. Everyone, regardless of whether or not you voted for them. And so they should be responsive to us. That doesn't necessarily mean that they should do only what their constituents want. Like to some degree, we entrust yeah. politicians to behave you know, on, in ways that are maybe better, hypothetically, than the general population. Yeah. Maybe. That would be nice. But so if they're behaving, or if they're not behaving, but if they're responding to moneyed interests over the will of their own constituents, that's right. a problem. That's not a healthy democracy. That's oligarchy. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for people to know this because then they can, since we still theoretically live in a democracy, we can vote against that person if the person is more responsive to corporate interests than to the public. 
that was a big talking point in my own congressional election last cycle because uh, I live in Chicago and my congresswoman now is Marie Newman. Um, that's changing because of redistricting, but whatever. Uh, she beat a guy named Dan Lipinski, who was a Democrat, but a very conservative one. And people made the argument that he was kind of too beholden to like airlines and transportation interests because of the district. And that was an argument that apparently was fairly persuasive to the public because he did end up losing. And so people knowing about the, the funding, I think, is can help them make informed decisions because politicians shouldn't be more responsive to you if you have more right. money. And then, yeah, Joe Manchin, I mean, it, it can start to get complicated because like I talked about Chicago, but I grew up in Alaska. And if you look at all the Alaskan politicians, they all get money from oil. But also Alaska is an oil producing state and a lot of people who live there work yeah. in oil. So like okay. big surprise, there's like oil money <laughs> yeah. there. It goes to the Democrats and to the Republicans. That might not necessarily be a problem until they start making decisions that are lockstep with the wishes of the oil companies over the sort of will of their mm -hmm. own people. And so I think that when you look at someone like Joe Manchin and when you look at cases where the politician's behavior is, is out of step with their constituency, it starts to <laughs> be problematic. You know, he's, he's not the only one. No. <laughs> no politician is clean from the influence of money, regardless of what, they, what they'll tell us. And so, and, and there's no like perfect way to behave. Like a lot of people say, let's get it so that, you know, there aren't big donors giving money to politicians, but then you end up with people who fund their own campaigns. Like, do we really want a Congress That's filled with point. millionaires? We already have one, um, but do we really want a Congress filled with more millionaires? Right. No. So it, it can get, it can get a little hairy, kind of the, the moral questions, I think. Yeah. I mean, where do we even where do we even start with Joe Manchin? I mean, we will see, I guess, what happens. But yeah, he really is just like the talk of town right now. And something that we've talked about on this show regarding him, just regarding Build Back Better and just like the timeliness of that is also kind of looking at the media and we just like think about how, you know, Joe Manchin has been in the news for months now over Build Back Better. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? But I feel like it, it's never, ever a part of the conversation of saying like, oh, this is why he's not supporting it. It's because he's funded by coal, oil, and natural gas or whatever his topic. Yeah. I was just on Open Secrets this morning. Look at it. But, and I already <laughs> forget, but it, it is those top industries. Why is that not just like the answer like CNN is giving everybody? It's like, oh, well, he's literally just funded by these industries that are telling him not to vote on it. That's the answer. Like, because isn't it? <laughs> I, it's definitely a big part of the answer, I think. And that is true for, again, yeah. for everyone, but, um, or for many, yeah. many of them. Uh, and like, you know, there is that circular question, like, is he behaving this way because West Virginians are more conservative than the typical Democrat, which might not even be true. I mean, like, I think the components of Build Back Better are more popular um, with the public than they are with Senate. Oh, totally. <laughs> uh, and otherwise, yeah. we'd have a yeah. bill. But And that's true for so many issues, mm -hmm. actually. Abortion, like so many issues. But I think that like the media likes to play up nuance, which is fine. <laughs> we like nuance. But you, there's actually this really funny Twitter account that's like the alternative New York Times editorial board. Oh and they're God. like, <laughs> it's really funny and you should follow it because they're like talking about all these 
pitch, I think it's called like New York Times pitch box or something. And they're like, we wanted to know about what women of, how women of color are affected by the repealing of uh, Roe v. Wade. So we asked a bunch of white union <laughs> workers in rural Ohio. <laughs> and, oh I think, and I think that that's like, that, even though it's a joke, I think that that is so true in the way that yeah. it talks about these issues. It's like, there sometimes there are facts and sometimes right. there are direct lines that you can draw between money and outcomes, but people like to make sure that they appear, especially in this climate, appear um, to not taking sides. And sometimes that, I think that can be detrimental, um, especially when you, too, there's like COVID, like sometimes things are just real. Sometimes things are just <laughs> as they sometimes seem. Sometimes they're in science, <laughs> yeah. yes. So we don't need to both sides everything. Mm. And that could be true with money and politics too, I think. Totally. Yeah. That's just a never ending sort of circle of things. But I think we, you know, obviously Joe Manchin, we could talk to talk about him for, you know, time immemorial, but he's definitely, like you said, not the only politician involved in this sort of, you know, relationship with money and politics and whatnot. But are there other politicians out there where it's like, this is so their aesthetic for lack of a better word? You know, it's like this really, it just feels like they are hand in hand and it's so much a part of their reputation. And I think to second that question, I know you guys are nonpartisan, but looking at sort of the data that you guys have, do you guys see more themes on for a particular party? Like, does it seem like, you know, the Democrats take more money from corporations or shady sources or Republicans? Like, are there any patterns? Yeah. Like? Okay. Yeah. So for patterns for partisan breakouts, it's a lot of them are expected. You would expect so things like Republicans tend to take more money from fossil fuel companies. Republican, but but but, but that's not. Super surprising. Mm -hmm. Democrats take more money from unions, like shock. But I think what, what is interesting to me is that when Citizens United was decided, the Republicans very quickly jumped on the um, bandwagon. They said, awesome, we're going to start taking advantage of all of the opportunities presented to us through this decision, creating a lot of super PACs, using a lot of that kind of mechanism to spend money. And the Democrats have well caught up <laughs> and have surpassed them mm. in, in recent yeah. cycles. So I think that you're starting to see, it, it's almost like a, if you can't beat them, join totally. them attitude, or from maybe the more pessimistic side, if you're a Democrat, like the, they're just not as good at it. <laughs> no, they, yeah. So, <laughs> so getting them to kind of get with the program, if, again, if you're a Democrat, like that, that's kind of how that's, that's happening. I think the, the, uh, so that's one element is that there's this, will they take advantage of the opportunities given to them through these new laws there's the a lot of this is expected oil goes to republicans unions go to democrats and break that out for any number of industries and then the other is that there's a lot of discussion about money from small donors so people like me and my neighbors you know anyone who gives money to politicians in small amounts under under 200 which is actually a lot of money but you know let's say $25. The Democrats get talk about this a lot. So you have people like Bernie mm -hmm. Sanders, AOC, Elizabeth Warren, making a big element of their political persona, the fact that they get grassroots, quote unquote, grassroots support. That is true. The Democrats do take a lot of money from small donors, especially that kind of Democrat. However, the Republicans have their own small donor contingent. <laughs> uh, and those, the politicians in the Republican side who take a lot of money from small donors are people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. And so there's this sort of like Republican equivalent. They're very, you know, different kinds of politicians, yeah. but their funding sources look the 
same, and, or at least look parallel. So I think that that's kind of an interesting element that people don't talk about, which is that like, we talk about small donors as a good thing, but they can actually result in politicians being more polarized mm. um, and possibly contribute to polarization. That's an open question, I think. But um, it is interesting when you see the list of politicians who get the most money from small donors, it is a list that looks like the one I just described. I and I don't think that that's what a lot of people on the left expect. Not today. expect that from MGT, yeah. no. You know, I'm like, do we like ring the bipartisan bell on that? Like, I don't want to, but like, interesting. <laughs> well, like wow. speaking of though, of, I'm like, so united. Yeah. Speaking though of like sources, like looking the same for both parties, like are there industries that heavily fund both parties? And if so, which ones? Yeah. Wall Street mm-hmm. lobbying, uh, lobbyists, like both members of members of both parties, a lot of the kind of like fortune 500 sort of companies. And they do that because we think about politics as an ideological discussion, abortion, mm-hmm. immigration, the environment. These are like the issues that people care about, what we eat, that kind of thing. Education. Companies, sure, they care about that kind of, but mostly they care about taxes right. <laughs> and regulations. And the people who control those come from both members, of, come from yeah. both parties. And so like, they don't really care ultimately if it's a Democrat giving you a tax break or if it's a Republican giving you a tax break, you wanna give money to the people who are going to be in power. And so that's why we see incumbents getting more money because incumbents tend to win. And that's also why we see uh, people who are in, like right now the Republicans are gonna get a lot of money because everyone is expecting them to take the house. So a lot of those corporate interests are gonna sway Republican. And people are gonna say, oh, you know, corporations love Republicans. It's not that, no. I mean, (laughs) we saw them giving a lot to Democrats in 2018. Like it just is, it's a secular Mm -hmm. process and it's not about the issues that people care about. It's about their companies. Yeah, and how can they get in the door once that candidate finally makes it in office? How can they get in the door to help make those policy decisions that ultimately help their companies? Yeah. Yeah, you don't want the door slammed in your face. And so you have to give to who's going to be in office. Mm -hmm. Classic. A classic, it's the economy stupid situation. (laughs) Yeah. It is is like always, you know, the bottom dollar situation that pops up in these things, which is super interesting. But looking at elections that have been, 2020 election, super expensive, like literally the amount of money in that election. I mean, we could all be sitting on yachts right now recording this. Maybe multiple. And then we could like literally like probably have like slides in between them. I mean, I could, I think we could helicopter to each other's yachts. Um, They have the Jeff Bezos like super yacht with its own mm -hmm. mini yacht. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, $13 billion. Crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Instead, sit in our freezing apartment. (laughs) With Wi Fi, with our Wi Fi turning off. Yeah, it was $13 billion, the biggest ever. You know, some of that is like quote unquote good because it shows people are caring about politics which mm-hmm. is nice a lot of it is not good which because you have a lot of big elite donors maybe exercising more sway than the rest of us but yes it was tremendous you know i think leading into 2022 i think that there will be a drop off but and i think that that's not to do with the fact that things are not any you know nothing is less important now than it was two years ago i just think that the passion especially on the left is a little bit muted because we don't have Trump in office mm-hmm. anymore for the left to, you know, yeah. hate. <laughs> uh, and Biden doesn't sort of generate that same degree of like, no. yes, let's go yeah. <laughs> uh, among the left. 
and you don't have and, and, I, and you don't have Trump on the ticket to energize Republicans. So I think that or certain types of Republicans. So I think in both ways, you're going to see a little bit of a depression in giving, which maybe is a good thing to reset a little more towards normal. But on the other hand, I think that the those big players like the corporations are going to see, oh, we're having a change in the control of the House, probably, although I don't like to write foregone conclusions about anything, but that's what everyone's mm-hmm. saying. And so, you know, we need to make sure that we get our foot in the door with that party too. So, you know, those corporate players care regardless. I just think that the kind of huge swell in giving that we saw from small donors is going to be a little depressed yeah. over the last two cycles. Well, that makes sense. to kind of wrap everything up and for people who are listening to this conversation and they're like, holy shit, like this is kind of crazy. There's a lot of money in politics I didn't know about that's influencing everything. How do I, as a voter, as a citizen, have any say if there's all this money? Looking into 2022, looking forward, like, what do you suggest people do with this information? And also just, I guess, like, with their civic actions, how do you kind of help combat some of this big, dark money that we see flowing into politics because it it really makes you feel a little helpless like especially when you see things like build back better not being passed because of one guy that's funded by the coal industry like what what do we do like how how can we help I think that yeah I think that I, I have a lot of thoughts about this question actually I think that when we looked at 2020 I saw a lot of giving to candidates who I'm not gonna say had no chance because everyone always you know there is always hope um, everyone always has a chance. You never know what could happen. But we saw huge amounts of money going into campaigns that were in really hard states to win if you're a Democrat and like Kentucky. <laughs> and so I, I always, you know, when my family members or friends ask me, like, what can I do? Who should I give money to? I, I always say, like, keep it local, because in a local or even a state contest, you can have so much more impact, especially your locality, Mm. (laughs) Uh, as opposed to trying to solve Big Back Better. Like, don't solve Big Back Better. Solve the fact that we have, or contribute to the solving of the fact that we have structural racism by supporting the, you know, uplifting of candidates of color in your Mm. own district. Rather than donating to politicians, I think that there are a lot of really good organizations um, out there doing policy-focused work and doing some issue-focused work. Uh, so mm-hmm. always give to open secrets. Yeah. But then, you know, if you care about the environment, give to a group that's active in that space. If you care about abortion rights or if you're pro-life, give to a group that's active in that space because they will work in ways that can have such important impact. And you kind of know a little bit more about how the money is going to be spent. Like you're not kind of... Yeah betting on something in the same way that you are when you give to a politician the other thing you know everyone will say like contact your politician reach out do that (laughs) but again i think that the people who are most sort of influential in some ways are the local and state actors who really can make changes for your community and ultimately i think that that is where so much of the change needs to happen and so i i really encourage people to stay um close to home in some ways uh rather than going all in on presidential elections, which is, I mean, again, I don't think, don't not pay attention to the presidential election. Don't have an opinion on yeah. the presidential I'm not saying that. It's just like, you're one small, it, it, you are one small voice out of a panoply of people um, at the national level, but like in local elections and in local uh, issue fights, it can really matter what 
what members or a politician's own constituents think. And you can get that person, like people who do well in state and local government are the ones who are gonna be in Congress later. Um, and so you can kind of like help yeah. feed the pipeline with the kind of people that you want representing you by supporting local actors. That's so true, totally. it's such a springboard. And now for some <laughs> reason, I'm like now thinking of like, donating to some of these you know directly to politicians and or campaigns as like being hedge funds and direct and then like directly like <laughs> investing or donating to some of these like policy you know focused organizations whether it's like Planned Parenthood like they're you know sort of you know action arm or whatnot like I feel like that's like investing in bonds so anyways that's yes. where my mind has officially gone <laughs> can you tell me can you tell that I like looked at my portfolio this morning that for one day <laughs> Early January finances check-in. Yeah, I was like, oh, interesting what we have here, LOL. But nonetheless, to sort of, you know, give this whole thing a, a nice, you know, wrap up and circle for those that are like, oh my God, finally, Open Secrets. We've been thinking about it. We want to check it out, but haven't yet. Where do they find you guys? What's the, you know, what's the full plug? Sure. Uh, the easiest place to find us is at opensecrets.org on the internet. And so we have, you know, a massive website. There's tons of information. I think that that's probably the best place to dive in. We're also pretty active on Twitter, which is at OpenSecretsDC. Not, not just Open Secrets. That's a group in South Africa. I know nothing about them, but it is. <laughs> Open Secrets DC. Oh, yeah. They got there first, apparently. It so happens. Twitter is probably our second kind of biggest place. You can sign up for our newsletter where we push out a lot of the writing that our journalists do, as well as places that were cited. And a lot of our staff are also pretty active on social media and can kind of be good follows if you are interested in things like dark money or corporate PAC activity or state government. We have a lot of good folks who work with us. And I definitely think that a follow can sort of brighten up your oftentimes sad Twitter timeline with good information, <laughs> about, good nonpartisan, accurate information about government. So that's kind yeah, of my totally. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for shedding all of this light again. Like it's been the interview we have been waiting for <laughs> and it's been so enlightening. I hope everyone learned so much, but thank you again. Yeah, it was so, ha- it was so fun to be here. Um, it was really a nice conversation. Yay, thank you. Top stories of the week. Welcome back. We have a few stories here, and one of them is something we touched on last week that we promised some updates on regarding voting rights and regarding the filibuster. And unfortunately, we have some bad news to report because we promised updates from last week on this and regarding the filibuster, and right now, this big voting bill ha- is facing defeat as two Dems won't stop the filibuster. Guess who those Dems are? <laughs> Just guess. <laughs> it's Kirsten Cinema of Arizona and Joe Manchin of West Virginia. And so voting legislation that's been a top priority for Democrats and civil rights leaders seemed headed for defeat as the Senate opened Tuesday, a devastating setback enabled by President Joe Biden's own party as two holdout senators refused to support rule changes to overcome a Republican filibuster, a.k.a. they can't beat the filibuster, then the Republicans in the Senate can just easily block this bill and it just has no chance of passage. That's basically what is happening here. And so again, the Democratic senators, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona and Joe Manchin of West Virginia face strong criticism from black leaders and civil rights organizations for failing to take on what critics call the Jim Crow filibuster. 
mic drop. And the debate carries echoes of an earlier era when the Senate filibuster was deployed by opponents of civil rights legislation. And it comes as Democrats and other voting advocates nationwide warn that Republican-led states are passing laws making it more difficult for Black Americans and others to vote by consolidating polling locations, requiring certain types of identification, and ordering other changes that really make this problem so much worse. Good old Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Granddaddy Schumer. Anyways, he acknowledged, besides my apparent humor of introdu- introducing him, acknowledged the uh, current bill is likely to defeat this week, but he said the fight is not over as he heeds advocates' calls to force all senators to go on record with their positions. The eyes of the nation will be watching what happens this week, Schumer said, as he opened the session on Tuesday. This is the fifth time the Senate will try to pass voting legislation this Congress. Yeah. So the Freedom to Vote, John R. Lewis Act combines earlier bills into one package that would make Election Day a national holiday, ensure access to early voting and mail-in ballots, which have become especially popular during good old COVID, and enable the Justice Department to intervene in states with a history of voter interference, among some other changes. So all super crucial. I mean, like, why? Is election day not a national holiday i'm just yeah i'll never understand i'll never understand mm-hmm. it but obviously the answer is republicans don't want everyone to vote sorry i said it you did <laughs> and i agree but we basic- sound like my old jewish grandmother so that are dead but that's <laughs> if they were still alive they'd sound like this <laughs> so both mansion and cinema say they support the package which has passed the house but they are unwilling to change senate rules to muscle it through and with a 50 50 split in the senate democrats have that narrow senate majority with uh, VP Kamala Harris is that breaking tie, but they lack the 60 votes needed to overcome the Republican filibuster. So again, that's the lay of the land here, and it's just like Mansion and Cinema. You don't, you obviously don't really support this package if you're not willing to do whatever it takes to pass this. It's also like such an existential issue, like voting rights. It's the backbone of our democracy, and if you're not willing to protect that, then what is you doing? Literally. Literally. That's sad on that. And I mean, Schumer, you know, thinks that this isn't over. We'll see. But that's that's where everything's landing as of as of today. But I'll give him credit. I'll give him credit that he's not taking it lying down. That he's like still at least putting up an optical fight. I think that this is obviously me putting my two cents in here where it was not asked for, but I do think that as we're going into midterms and things are not looking good for the Democrats, including just getting stuff done here, like I do think that his push should be like, all right, show me what you got. And kind of putting people on notice a little bit is helpful and might get a little bit of respect from some voters that are frustrated. I don't think it's going to solve the whole problem by any means, but maybe it gives a little bit of like a a slight band-aid is even pushing it. It puts the antibiotic on the cut. That's yeah. as far as we're getting. Ooh, yeah. And gross. it's it's just a matter of how big that gash is and whether the antibiotic is gonna really I'm also do like much. literally I'm literally looking at the like gash on my leg from when I walked into a boulder and I'm like Wait. <laughs> that's funny. I also forgot an update of my weekend and that I, it I sprained my ankle walking on Wait, what? Walking on just regular flat concrete sidewalk in sneakers. I 
was only a little bit drunk and I was walking this dog I'm watching and just cracked. But I mean, my ankles are weak as hell. I sprained them like 10 times during soccer. So, but I haven't sprained one in a while. So that was just, that was a cute little moment of my weekend as well. So I have a bit of a cankle right now, but. Oh, a cankle. Yeah, it's okay. Okay, so look, if anyone's paying Maddie for her foot fetish picks, you're going to have to wait a week. <laughs> just FYI. <laughs> Put a hold on the order. My foot picks guy is going to be so upset. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyways. Guys, that's a joke. They don't send feet picks. <laughs> um, okay, so next story. Um, let's get into it because... Speaking of, like, creepy dudes, Trump and DeSantis, tensions ratchet up. Tensions between former President Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are reaching a boiling point. Trouble in in paradise? President Trump is the one clearly picking a fight here, and it's a fight that's too early and unnecessary, said Sam Nunberg, a former advisor to Trump, who stressed that he is is neutral in a dust up between Trump and DeSantis. We're not in Republican primary season. This is a fight for mid-2023. It's not a fight to start having in 2022. If Donald Trump believes he is punching down when he's attacking Ron DeSantis, then why do it? So what I'm gathering is that DeSantis wants to run for president in 2024. Trump is hearing this, and DeSantis is a former Trump-ass kisser. Um, and Trump's a little upset. He's like one of his minions is going, kind of like rising up against him and wanting to challenge him potentially in 2024. And Trump's little ego is having a moment. Is that what I'm gathering? I think that would be entirely correct. And I mean, we, we've seen the Trump ego pop in and out all day, every day. So we knew this was going to come to a head. But I think what's interesting because DeSantis gave an interview recently talking about how he like wish he had pushed back on some of the initial COVID restrictions in March and stuff in March 2020 when stuff started really like hitting the fan which is interesting because it's kind of like pushed back against Trump and you know giving a little bit of like fight that like he wished he was harder on COVID he wished he was like literally like there were less restrictions even from the get-go he thinks like they were a mistake Oh, from Trump. He thought Trump yeah. put too many restrictions. <laughs> yeah. Gotta go. Which, like, I just, there's so many levels of I just, like, I can't, I can't, I can't. But. So I'm like, am I on Trump's side? Whose side am I on? <laughs> I know. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, oompa loompa. <laughs> like, let's fucking go. Like, I really, I, the scream, the absolute scream internally. But what I think is interesting is basically, like, there had always been all of these, like, rumblings, like, is DeSantis, like, you know, as he sort of went up the ranks, going to, you know, run for 2024, and the fact that he won't denounce it and be like, no, I'm not running, like, go my homeboy, like, Trump, like, love you, dude, let's get matching friendship tats. Trump is, like, having a little hissy fit because Trump just wants the all clear to be able to do it no matter what. I mean, Trump bulldozes anyone or tries to bulldoze anyone. But it's interesting every time he tries to bulldoze someone that's, like... yeah such an it's ally. interesting this is all like very over weird. covid like trump trump last week took a shot at desantis for refusing to say if he did or did not receive the covid booster like all of a sudden trump is like a covid hero is that is that his the angle he's taking um, i think trump will take any angle that lets him win 
Totally. And I think the one thing that, you know, a lot of people who are either moderate or like classic kind of GOP Republican ended up not voting for Trump in 2020 because of COVID and the way he handled it. And they know that. And so for now they're like, okay, thinking of 2024, I need to kind of show that I care about COVID to kind of win some of those voters back. And I guess Ron DeSantis is taking the opposite stance. He's like, all you anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers, anti-lockdowners, come with me. So this is just also interesting to me, like, to see these two just used to be buddy, buddy, now butting heads. is honestly kind of the drama I love to see, I'm going to be really honest. But... <laughs> A political science professor at the University of Central Florida gave a little rundown and said, right now, things do look pretty good for DeSantis politically, but I still think there's a ranking and it's Trump first than currently as of today, DeSantis. But we don't know that that will be the case for long. Historically, early frontrunners fade. But the fact we are mm-hmm. in 2022 and there is you know, a battle and shit talking and all of these things for the 2024 Republican primary is just not okay to me. <laughs> I just, I, I don't have it in me to deal with this right now and I need them to just stop. But at the same time, I kind of love that they're, that these two specifically are fighting. But yeah, you know, let them juke it out. I, you know, I think this would be a fun one to take a bet on so i have a conspiracy theory okay let's hear it also what if conspiracy theory warning ew 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 okay (laughs) (laughs) what's that sound okay theory is that trump and desantis are actually still secretly on the same team and Mm. this is a pr stunt to try and make trump look more moderate uh-huh. And DeSantis is, like, trying to be overly conservative, anti-COVID person to try and make Trump look more centrist and level-headed about COVID. Interesting. And then what if they're trying to then do a joint ticket together? Right. Because Pensy Boy does not seem to be up with his boy Oompa Loompa, so... Yeah, so there's my conspiracy theory. Everyone just hmm. make sure hmm. to... Just stay aware, you know, critically think. Interesting. Last story is a kind of PSA. Just a moment for everyone to know, an informative moment, because free COVID tests administered by the government are available now. So Sam, do you want to tell everybody how how to get these if necessary? Because you actually recently had quite the COVID test debacle of your own. I did. I did. The headache that would not stop. And it wasn't even because of, like, the vid. It was because of the tests. As everyone else may have experienced, I doubt I was alone. I can't. I know I was not alone in this. Getting tests was bloody impossible. Everyone was sold out. There's, like, so much price gouging. It's, like, really freaking ridiculous in general. So, anyways, trying to get a test and also get the results in time has been very, very difficult. And now... US, the U.S. government, the federal government has made covidtest.gov go live, which is allowing Americans to order rapid tests for free through the website and they will be delivered by the U.S. Postal Service. 
All that is needed to do is, is a name and mailing and an address. There's no credit card information needed. So if you go to something and it's asking you for your credit card information, do not do it. That is not it. COVIDtest.gov. So that is where you're going to be able to get those tests. You are limited to four tests per residential address. And those tests will take usually seven to 12 days to ship, according to the White House. So, so are they suggesting to order them now and then just have them in case? Because obviously seven to 12 days, like you're done with COVID by then. I think that's generally the gist of it. Yeah. But yeah, I know I will definitely be ordering these to have more on hand. We need to be able to, you know, test effectively. So yeah, be proactive. So we'll obviously put of... this link in the bio. Yeah, we'll I mean, put this no. link in the in the episode descri- description for everybody. Be proactive. Get some tests. There's your top stories. There's your little COVID safe action item. We love, you know, government resources. And <laughs> said no one ever. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But we'll wrap it up again with our with our broom because it got a little messy in here throughout this recording so we have to get our housekeeping in order before you everyone leaves donation link if you love this episode if you love us she does a few quarters if you want an internship for college credit go to girlonthegov.com careers if you want some resume boosters or community or networking or just to continue to learn about politics in the political space in a crucial election year, head to our brand ambassador program and sign up. It's fully volunteer based and there's no requirements. So come on in and come meet us. And also if you wanna keep learning about the midterms and being informed for the 2022 midterms, go to Manny's virtual blue and 22 events this week and next week. We'll be back with another fresh epi next week big things coming great guests coming on you guys may we say we won't Mm. we won't you know reveal too much right now but big things are coming and hop on board for this ride make sure you tell your friends about us and tell your friends it's an election year everyone needs to start putting their political caps back on so send them over to girl on the gov and we'll we'll handle it from there but have an amazing week we'll be talking to you all next wednesday Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.